You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. A few weeks ago, um, we started a little bit of a series, just a, a basic spiritual health check, and we've been looking at a number of aspects to that. And, and one aspect, and perhaps one of the most important, it's good to ask ourselves this question from time to time, at least on an annual basis, is do I know who I am? On what is my identity founded? Is my identity secure? Do I understand who I really am? There is a a series of movies that some of you may have seen um, based on the character Jason Bourne. And uh, yes, you hand up if you've seen the Born Identity and one, two, three, and four. You know a little bit about the about the series. Um, a guy wakes up in a fishing boat and and doesn't know who he is. He has no identity, and uh, so begins a um, a pursuit to finding out who he is. And he discovers, much to his dismay, that he has a particular set of skills which would seem to identify him as some sort of an assassin. He knows things that disturb him, and, and so, so begins this pursuit to find out who is he really. On one particular occasion, in fact, faced with somebody who actually trained him, a uh, psychologist um, who, who trained him many, many years ago in the military, facing him on one occasion, the psychologist says to him, Jason, it's what you are. A killer, and you always will be. And in his head, he is battling this notion, knowing that, that that's not who he is. That's who he's been trained to be. But who is he really? He has no memory of it. Who is he really beyond that? He wants to know his identity. And as far-fetched as the, as the film is, perhaps, and, and it's, got, it's got tremendous entertainment value, but it is actually a little bit of a, a, little bit of a crisis in our, in our modern day. In fact, another actress, Tita Swinton, um, you might know her best for, for playing the character the, the White Witch in Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe. Um, she, I, I was reading an airline magazine and, and um, I thought, I know that face and, and started to just read a little bit of the article on her. She has actually concluded, she says, fascinated with people's search for an identity and who they are. She said, I actually have concluded that you can never know. The search for an identity is a fruitless one. You will never really know who you are, which was fascinating, I thought, coming from an, from an actress. Well, you may be able to dismiss it easily, or you may not. Um, we were just recently on holidays, and, and I think a little at first bemused and then a little bit troubled by, by something we saw um, more and more. We're at a particular cafe and we're just sitting there enjoying a coffee and a bit of an extended quiet time, something you can do on, on holidays. And as we're sitting there, our, our attention was drawn to a, to a, a young girl who was also at the cafe, um, I think by herself. And uh, what, what actually got our attention was um, the way that she was kind of with a selfie stick, um, organizing herself after much ado into a particular fashion, uh, positioning the stick, looking away as if, you know, she was um, totally unaware of what was happening and click, would take a selfie, quickly have a look at it and, uh, you know, and then she just set herself up again and kind of prim herself and, and then click. And then have another look, and then finally she was satisfied with that one, and so she quickly posted on, and, and then she kept checking her phone. 
Obviously, what feedback did she get on her, her new status? Well, we were there at that cafe for a couple of hours, so we actually watched this process unfold before us about every 20 minutes. A new shot from a different angle. The disturbing thing, I guess, was that she had begun become her own paparazzi. I mean, there she was, taking photos of herself, you know, sort of unaware. Oh, oh, stop it, stop it. And then posting it on Facebook. It was bizarre. But she was so keen to get that feedback, it appeared, on what do people think about what I'm doing here at the cafe all by myself. You know, identity is a, is a big thing. We live in a society that's so big that we're not sure who one another is. When I ring my bank, I, I don't talk to, to Mary or Joe who, oh, Stuart, good to hear from you again. No, 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 no. I have to go through a series of security questions, which basically I have to you know, give an entire genealogy going back to Adam before they'll actually believe that I am, oh, Mr. Hunt, welcome back. You know, it's, it's kind of, we don't know who one another is. We actually have a problem with identity, and you may be excused for asking, well, is it important anyway, this whole pursuit of, of knowing who we are? Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to have a look, little bit of a look at this. Um, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Let's, have a, let's start here. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, God, of course, here is talking to Jeremiah, but there is a universal truth in this as well. And it's quite fascinating. I don't know if it struck you yet, but look at that. Your identity, look at the first bit there. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Your identity precedes your form. Now, here you are um, with a born... Um, well, you know, I don't know what, what country you were born in, but, but you're either born here in Australia or you're born somewhere else and migrated to Australia. Here you are, um, a particular age and a, and a particular skin color, and, and you have a particular genetics and so forth. And, and you might think that it's, it's the inevitability of, in, in my case, you know, Daryl and Evelyn Hunt meeting together and falling in love and so forth. But, but no, it's bigger than that. God actually knew you before you had a form. Imagine that. You were known to God, and he just simply had to make some choices. Now, when would be a good time in all of world's history? When would be a good time for Stuart, Bronwyn, Matt, Jordan, Joel? <laughs> Who'd want to get those ones? When would be a good time in history for you to be born. Ah, and, you know, in what country will I, will I, will I choose for you? What nationality? What race? What, what genetic makeup? What, what privileges in life are you going to have or otherwise? All of those decisions to be made by a, by a heavenly father who loved you, cared for you, knew you. You could have been born in the time of Moses. You could have been born in the time of Jesus. You could have been born in the time of Luther. But it is for such a time as this that you have been born. No mistakes there. You weren't supposed to be somebody else. You weren't supposed to have somebody else's life. No comparisons there. Absolutely no mistakes. 
You were purposed for today. You were purposed for now. And you were purposed for here. Isn't that fascinating? Absolutely no mistakes whatsoever. Everything about you has been chosen by God, your Heavenly Father, for God, for His purposes. Your identity precedes your form. It's no accident. But notice this too. That in order to be intimate or to have any sort of relationship, here is a relationship between God and Jeremiah. But in order for that relationship to take place, for there to be any intimacy between God and, and Jeremiah, there had to be an identity. We have to, we have to be able to know somebody else, and we have to be able to be known. Identity is critical for relationship, for intimacy. Without an identity, if we cannot identify another person, if we cannot be identified, if we cannot know or be known, there can be no intimacy. There can be no relationship. Isn't that fascinating? But of course, by God's grace, there is. So yes, it's important and, and it's, it's possible. Now, an identity, who we are, is not something that you can give to yourself. It's given to you. Many philosophers have thought about this throughout the ages. They have contemplated our existence. How do I know that I am? The best, best answers for, for many is I, I, I think, therefore I am. In modern-day existentialism, we say, I do, therefore I am. Well, God would say, no, <laughs> neither, actually. You are who you are because your creator says you are. You are who you are because your creator says you are. Now, A.W. Tozer he once said the most important thing about a person is what that person thinks about God. Meaning that what they think about God, will it's a big tell. It will tell you a lot about that, that particular person. But let's go one deeper than that. And yes, our thoughts about God are interesting. Sometimes, you know, I, I guess a, a little bit limited by our finitude. But, but the more important point is not necessarily what we think about God, but what does God think about himself? That's where good theology really is. What does God think about God? Perhaps what we're delving into a little bit today is what does God think about us? Now, being Father's Day, we often think about giving a gift to our Heavenly Father, but, but I want you today to actually receive a gift from your Father, from your Heavenly Father. It's Father's Day, and let's receive a gift, a gift from Him. Let's receive a better understanding, if we will, of who we are in Christ and what we mean to our Heavenly Father, God. Um, here's a few verses to, to contemplate. Firstly, here's one from... Romans chapter, chapter 1, verse 6. You also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. If anyone is to, to ask you, you know, are you called of God? You can say, yes, absolutely. He's called me to belong to him. It's your primary purpose in life. If you did nothing else with your life, 
but fulfill your purpose to be just caught as a son or a daughter of God, do you know what? Tick. You have achieved all that God had intended for you. Isn't that beautiful? We are primarily called to belong to him. The word called, and there are a few Greek words that are, that are used for this, but almost always have to do with who you are, not what you do. Isn't that interesting? In the church, we often turn that around and, and we, we talk about our calling, and this is very much influenced by, I think, by Western culture, to, to relate to what we do in life. That's absolutely got nothing to do with it whatsoever. The call of God is a call to be, to be his child. Are you fulfilling that? It's a wonderful thing. Now, secondly, Romans chapter 8, we've got a few verses here from, from Romans chapter 8. It's a great chapter. And one of the reasons um, Matt was pointing out the blog before, because that actual blog is all about the Father heart of God as well, and, and um, a good place for you to go and you know, perhaps uh, throughout this week reinforce what God might be saying to you. But, but here's a wonderful verse here. The spirit that you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Greek word, sorry, the Aramaic for that is Daddy. Daddy, beautiful. Um. Abba, Father, we are adopted as his child. God has chosen you and I to belong to him, to be adopted as his child. Let's look at another one. Verse 17, Romans chapter 8. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the promise that, that we have an inheritance along with Jesus Christ. Now, here's an interesting one. Think about, think about Jesus, the ascended Christ. Where do you picture him? And of course, we, we know that by his spirit, he lives in our heart. But his status, in terms, of, in terms of his rule, he rules in our heart, he rules over our life, but he also, at the right hand of the Father, rules over all things, does he not? Yes. That's, that's some position. That's some inheritance he got. His inheritance, guess what? Is ours. We have a share in that. Everything that you might attribute to Jesus Christ, and you'd say, yes, as a result of... His, his obedience as a son, he has been given this, and he has been given this, and he has been given this. All of these things are his. And all of these things are ours as well. We have a share in that. We have a share in that inheritance. It's an amazing thought. Um, here's another one. We'll never be abandoned. If the Spirit... Of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. There's the promise. As sure as the spirit of God lives within you, he will actually raise up these bodies. Once, once they have passed from life to death, we will assuredly pass to life again, into eternal life. We will experience that. We will never be abandoned or, 
or forsaken. Leaving Romans for a moment, let's go to 1 John chapter 3. We are free to behave as his child. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This sometimes is one of those verses that can raise a little bit of confusion. Uh Uh-oh, you might say. (laughs) So, if we continue to sin, if we sin, that means we're not a child of God. And sometimes this has caused some people to doubt their salvation. No, not, not at all. Look at the word continue there. What this verse is essentially saying is that, um, and in fact, John, John in the previous verses talks about, you know, not denying that you sin. Um, we all sin. Here he is talking about a continued lifestyle of sin, continuing to sin. That, that, that is not characteristic of someone who is born of God. In fact, the very, the very fact that, that you might be troubled by that, that you might question that, that you, you might think to yourself, this really is really disturbing, shows that your, your conscience is pricked, that the Spirit of God is alive in you, that it troubles you, that you might be continuing to sin, and it actually demonstrates that you are a child of God. The interesting thing about this verse is that that word for seed there in the Greek, that word is sperma, which probably doesn't need any more clarification. What it is essentially saying is this almost elevates that, that whole notion of being adopted into God's family. One more step, an important step, essentially, John is telling us here that, that God's, God's very DNA is in you. You come from the same stock as God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, what a thought. That is why you're not going to go on sinning and behave like somebody who is not a child of God. God's God's DNA is in you. It's an incredible promise. And then again, what is all of this saying? Well, all of this is saying that that you are a very loved child. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God? That's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Now, dear friends, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. It's a wonderful promise. All of these scriptural truths are adding up to one and the same promise. You are loved. You are loved deeply by your heavenly Father. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And this is not just some conditional love. This is lavish. It's a beautiful description. This is the lavish love of a father who, when he looked at your poor estate and mine, gave us everything that he had, even his very own son. He loves you. He really, really does. All right, well, that's a wonderful gift from our Heavenly Father this Father's Day. How do we receive that truth? Mm. The greatest 
distance perhaps there is is he's not from one side of the planet to the other but between the head and the heart somebody has said how do we get that truth from our head down into our heart how do we come to that place where this abstract theology of the father heart of god actually hits us here and we get it well this is a spiritual truth and it's fair to say that it is something of a little bit of a struggle at times i was i was still in my mid to late 20s struggling with this concept i remember going on a retreat on one occasion it was a retreat for pastors it was a great little course it was actually a lot of, a lot of fun running it except for this last bit which was 24 hours of solitude it used to kill me i used to look at that 24 hours of solitude like it was a sentence we made everybody promise to everyone else on the retreat not to talk to anybody. And I was going to, oh, I promise. But you know, a lot can be said with facial gestures, can't they? And so I would have many conversations with other people. But on this particular retreat, I was kind of feeling like, you know what? I, I, really, I really would love to not endure but enjoy this 24 hours of solitude. Help me, God. Why, why can't I just enjoy 24 hours in your presence? And I thought I could. And so I, I really was, was praying about this particular solitude time. And, and I felt that God was waiting for this moment. He was waiting for me. It started with a very, very deep confession, actually. And the confession was this, was something along the lines of this. God, I know technically speaking, that you're my father. But the truth is, I've always related so much more to your son, Jesus. Something doesn't quite click when I think about you as a father. And I need your help. And it was a wonderful time of solitude, and it, and it ended with tears of joy as, as I, I felt that there was something in that time of a breakthrough in this particular issue for me. Tears of joy that was starting a whole new relationship with God on a whole new level and a whole new plane that I believed I was always supposed to experience, but for a variety of reasons I had not yet experienced. It can be a little bit of a struggle for us, it's a spiritual work, and it takes the Spirit of God to, to assist us in this. Look at these passages back in, in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit, verse 15, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. This is a spiritual work, and it requires the work of the Holy Spirit. It seems here that if you are a believer and you have the Spirit of God living within you, this is not one of those optional extras. The Spirit of God brings about in us a spirit of sonship or daughtership. He helps affirm within us that we actually have been adopted. True. Real deal in the spiritual realm, in a, in a way that is far more real than actually in the earthly realm. That the Spirit of God within us has actually brought this to fruition. 
Um, further, verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's one of the things that he is doing. Inwardly, he is giving a, test of, a, a testament, a witness to our spirit that we really are God's children. That's his job. It's one of the things he works relentlessly to do. He wants you and I to understand that we are God's child. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. This is in the context, again, of being a child of God, of being born into his family. Here is the Spirit of God now interceding for us, praying for us, that we will get this, that we'll understand it, that we'll really, really get it. He's our Father. He loves us. You're his child. Enjoy. This, I believe, is part of what those wordless groans are all about. This is a spiritual work, and it takes the Spirit of God to, to do it. Now, we can't, we can't really address this issue without, without addressing another one, and that is the problem of pain, of hurt, of, of evil in the world. When trying to understand a loving Heavenly Father, we can sometimes struggle because of the, the presence of evil. Most of us, at some point in our life, have, have come upon something which does not feel like it was delivered from the hand of a loving father. And so the question which jumps into our mind is this, why didn't you stop it? If you're a good, good father, why would you allow that to happen? Well, the truth is, we don't fully always understand this issue, the origin of evil and, and so forth. We do know, however, that Jesus face the full brunt of evil in the world and yet always trusted in his father's love. Isn't that interesting? He faced far more evil than you or I could ever have faced and yet did not doubt his father's love. You could say, what about that moment on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the start to Psalm 22, which goes on to talk about the faithfulness of God. Jesus knew that his, that his father loved him. And if he is the model child, remember, the firstborn of many, if he is the model child in the family, the one that we look up to and say, I want to be like him, if that's the case, then in this regard too, we want to be like Jesus, right? There's an interesting story in John chapter 9. man who was born blind. And as Jesus and his disciples were passing by, some bystanders pointed him out and said to Jesus, why is he blind? Who sinned, the mother or the father? In other words, they were saying, what's the cause of the blindness? Now, they were making an assumption here, and that is that evil is a punishment for sin. Or bad things that happen to us are a punishment for sin. And I want to say that actually, actually is a bit of it still a common misunderstanding today. It's important to realize that, that evil or bad things are not a punishment for sin, but the result of sin. It feels like a fine distinction, but it's an important one. The evil in the world, the bad things that happen, they are the result of sin, but not a punishment for sin. When bad things happen... You or I are not being punished. By that measure, a lot of people are getting off pretty lightly in this world. Judgment will come, but in the meantime, we must understand that bad things will happen. 
Now, what's interesting is the way that Jesus answers this question. Who sinned, the mother or the father, to make this this poor man blind from, from birth? And Jesus answered by calling attention not to the cause of the sin, but the purposes of God in an evil world. Really, really fascinating. I guess what fascinates me here is this is the big moment to answer once and for all the question of the origins of evil. God is omniscient. He would know that in 2016, people will still be asking that question. He will know that atheists will use it as their trump card to prove there is no God. So why not backtrack in the Gospels? Why not go back to that moment and, and, and Jesus, please just answer the question simply for us and we will have no problems with it whatsoever after this moment, except he doesn't. Did he not know? Of course. He would have understood. And yet, he only spoke the words that the Father gave him, and this is how he answers. Pointing not to the cause of evil, but the purposes of evil, he says, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed. Interesting. Really? Is, is, is it that important to see the works of God? This happened, this bad thing happened, this evil thing happened, in order to show or demonstrate the works of God? Absolutely. Why? What is it about the works of God that are so important that they demonstrate God's purposes in the world? What is it about the works of God that we are supposed to see? We need to understand what Jesus understood. Remember, he's the big brother. He has an important perspective. Um, Years and years ago, very, very young, my brother and I shared a bedroom. We were put to bed and the idea was to go to sleep. I had more energy than I did desire to go to sleep. And so lots of jokes and tossing around. And and for me, a great night finished with a pillow fight. And on this particular night, I remember, you know, bantering back and forth with my brother Gavin. And, and, uh, you know, I was probably stuffing my pillow because I realized in those days, the more you could stuff the pillow down, the heavier the weight it had, and, and you, could really get a, you could really get some momentum going with this thing. So I was work, busy working on that, and then Gavin said the most extraordinary thing. Good night, Stuart. I'm tired now, and I'm going to go to sleep. And I thought, you wuss, you're going to really get it. And then I thought, this is really odd. My big brother, he's, I mean, you know... Uh, what's, what's with the sudden good boy act, you know? And uh, I said, it's all right, Dad can't hear us. And I was ready to thump. He said, no, don't, don't. I need to go to sleep. I'm tired, and Dad's told us to go to sleep. And I'm thinking, what's with this? What's with this? I said, Dad can't hear us. He doesn't know. My bed was kind of in line with the door there. He can't see us. And yet Gavin kept up the good boy routine, you know? No, no, no. Dad has told us to go to sleep now, Stuart. And it really is important that we obey. I think, who is this? What alien came and took my big brother? You know, this is just not like Gavin. And then Dad appeared at the door. Oops. I was sort of armed with my pillow and ready for a, for a great, great, awesome fight. And, and, and I, you know, uh, he had some words to say. And, uh, and then as I was kind of stuffing my pillow back and going to sleep, I was just baffled by this. How did Gavin know? How did he know? He had a perspective I didn't have 
from where his bed was, he could see, not dad in the doorway, dad was smarter than that, but he could see his shadow in the doorway. He would let me know a few days later. And so he could see dad's shadow. He knew dad was there. He knew he was listening to every word. I mean, how Gavin kept it together and didn't burst out laughing at my stupidity, I don't know. But, but at any rate, he had a perspective, my older brother, that I needed I needed to hear, well, Jesus, your older brother has a perspective on all of this that you need to understand. It's found in, in this verse, verse here, John chapter 5, verse 20. Here's the perspective of your older brother in, in this matter, this problem of evil and pain in the world. You see, Jesus knew that he was loved. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. What do we learn from this? When you see your heavenly Father's good works, they demonstrate he loves you. Jesus knew that he was loved by his Father. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. When you see your heavenly Father's good works, they demonstrate he loves you. When you came off your bike as a kid and your mum cleaned the wounds, your heavenly father guided her hands. When you failed that exam and your friend found you in a corner, looking and feeling miserable, your heavenly father gave them the words to say. That time you were betrayed and only one person stood by you, your heavenly father gave them the courage to do so. You see... God uses life's pain to display his good works. And his good works tell you, I love you. I love you. I love you. Every time you see his good works, he's saying he loves you. We may not get our heads around the problem of pain and evil in this lifetime. The answers are there, but we may have to wait and live by faith for the time being. But know this, they are not without meaning. The difficult things that come into your life, the suffering, the pain, there is a purpose to them. And the purpose is that the good works of God might be displayed. And as you see his good works, you will hear the whisper of heaven I love you. Can you see it? I love you. Look at my good works. I love you. Look at this person I've brought into your life. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. You are not forgotten. I love you. Maybe you've been humiliated, lost, abused, deceived, hurt, shocked, grieved, or even rejected. Maybe you're still waiting to see the good works of God in a particular situation. Hang on. Remember, your pain is an opportunity for the work of God to be displayed. And when it is, it's a reminder that he loves you. The gift from your Heavenly Father today is a new understanding, I believe, of 
what it means to be his child. And perhaps the best gift that we can give to him is to receive it. How do you do that? Well, remember, the spiritual work is, is brought about by the Spirit of God. And today we have an invitation to receive this gift, to believe it, to choose to trust him. Perhaps in the recesses of your mind, you're still struggling, struggling with what is he like, though? Can I trust him? Paul described it this way. In Philippians 4, he, 6, 7, and 8, he starts off by saying, listen, you're not to be anxious about things. I want you to, to present your petitions to God. Come before him. The, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, is going to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And how all of this possible? Then he goes into verse 8. And, and there Jesus, uh, sorry, Paul says, so whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if, if anything is excellent or if anything is praiseworthy, think about such things. Where did Paul, Paul pull that from? Those expressions, those descriptions of what it is that we should contemplate and, and focus our attention upon, meditate. He then goes on to say, and the God of peace will be with you. Surely what Paul is doing there is describing God the Father. Because when you meditate upon these things, the peace of God will be upon you. This is a description of God. He is true. He is noble. He's right. He's pure. He's lovely and he's admirable. He's excellent and he's praiseworthy. That's your heavenly father. He's a good, good father. Don't you believe any of the bad press that he gets? the lies that the devil whispers. He is good to the core. That's your daddy. Who's your daddy? God. And he loves you. You can trust him. So perhaps one of the best ways we can, we can receive um, this gift is to is to go back over some of those statements, some of those verses that I shared before. Here are a little bit of a, a summary of them. Remember, going all the way back to Jeremiah, God knew you even before you were formed in the womb. You were called to belong to Jesus Christ. You have been adopted into God's family, and you are now his child. You can call him daddy. You share in Christ's inheritance. You have been promised eternal life. 
You are no longer a slave to sin, but you are free to behave like a child of God. What great love your Father has lavished upon you. I wonder if tonight you would like to to say these out loud with me as an affirmation, as as a way to receive this truth and allow it to take that little bit of a journey from your head down into your, into your heart. I think that would be a great way to finish, hey? Why don't you, why don't you stand with me, and, and if you're able, if you feel comfortable with it, let's, let's read this out together, statement by statement, and just trust the Lord to, to minister it to that deep part of you. And, and again, Lord Jesus, we have said it before, a spiritual work requires your Holy Spirit to be at work. And so would you please come now and help us to understand these truths and to to let them sink deeply into our inner being. Thank you, Jesus. Well, let's say this together, shall we? And again, as as, as an invitation, but join me if if you feel willing and able. Let's say it together. God knew me before I was formed in the womb. I am called to belong to Jesus Christ. I have been adopted into God's family. I am now his child, and I can call him daddy. I share in Christ's inheritance. I have been promised eternal life. I am not a slave to sin. I'm free to behave like a child of God. What great love my Father has lavished upon me. Indeed. Please, please have a seat. Just in closing, I'm going to, going to invite you, just close your eyes now. And I wonder as you, as you prayed through any of those statements, I just wonder, did you find yourself struggling with a particular statement there? And any of those sort of just catch in the throat a little bit. It was a little bit difficult to say or believe. Sometimes that can be the area in which God wants to do a healing work. And so I invite you to, if you would like to, to share in this prayer, Heavenly Father, I so long to deepen my relationship with you. I know that I am your child. Scripture says so. You are my father. Scripture tells me this also. But Scripture also reveals a depth of relationship demonstrated by Jesus to which I am called and and to which I am still growing. And I invite your Holy Spirit now to come and light up in my heart and my understanding any obstruction to that relationship right now. The reason or the cause 
for my not being able to fully embrace you as my daddy. And I give you permission because I know your Holy Spirit is the counselor. I know he's gentle. And you are a merciful God. I invite you to begin a healing work in me. Whatever it takes to remove those obstructions so that I, yes, even in this lifetime, might enjoy more and more a deep knowledge and understanding and experience of what it means to be your child. I trust you to lead me in this. And I choose to believe that you are who you say you are. A good father who has lavished me with his love and invited me into relationship with him through his son, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.